Welcome to the Wise Birth Radio. We are women, students, and mamas exploring healthy pregnancies, empowered birth, nurtured postpartum, and natural parenting from a holistic, intuitive, and grounded experience. We share knowledge through interviews, stories, and musings. We hope to inspire you to take charge of your childbearing journey for yourself and your family. This show is intended to spark your own curiosity and encourage you to listen to your body, your baby, and your intuition. I'm Mabel. And I'm Sarah. And we are your hosts on Wise Birth Radio. All right. Well, I am very excited to be talking to Stacy Ramshauer today. Um, we were just trying to remember how I was first introduced to her work, but we've been in sort of various overlapping circles with Indie Birth. We both went through the Center for Sacred Window Studies. Um, she has her own podcast, which was its name changed recently or... No, it's it's called the Sacred Body Podcast. Sacred Body Podcast. Yeah. Just your Instagram was changed. Yeah. Um, which is amazing. And you should definitely listen to her podcast. Um, and here she is. I'm going to let her introduce herself. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I'm Stacey Ramsauer. Um, my work has, I've accumulated a lot of certifications and titles over the years, but I've always been working in the realm of the body and very closely working with the bodies of women. Um, I've worked as a birth doula, as a teacher, trainer of yoga for a long time, studied Ayurveda, and then I devoted myself pretty strongly to birth work. I worked as a doula. I worked um, as a postpartum support provider. Following my pregnancy loss, I shifted a lot of my focus in study and work to the postpartum. And I'm now in my somatic experiencing practitioner training and finishing my master's in psychology. And still my interest and priorities are the same is how to call up as many women as possible into their embodied feminine power. Mm. And particularly through this initiation of birth and motherhood, when all of our pieces are scattered, I, my birth doula for my first birth, I remember her saying, birth is a shattering. And I can still see her gesture mm. and that image in my mind. And for me, I was immediately struck by the beauty of it. I've always been sort of captivated by the work of Tantra and in-depth psychology, the shadow work, incorporating these pieces of ourselves that have been, for whatever reason, abandoned or shunned or treated as unworthy, the scary parts of our initiations into womanhood are where the potency lies, is where our courage can be found. And also the, I think, evolutionary aspect of women that I'm really interested in is our need and urge and tendency to gather and to flock mm -hmm. together. I find just tremendous power and joy and pleasure in that. So my work right now is primarily working online in a coaching capacity with women, mostly doing individual work, but starting to branch out into group programs again. So mm -hmm. in a few weeks, I'll be launching a program called The Dark Mother, and it's incorporating the pieces of grief and rage and shame in motherhood to find our authenticity and our real power. Yeah, I feel like for me, when I was first sort of dipping my toes in motherhood content, I suppose, I saw a lot of people you included talking about rage and grief. And I was like, I just, I'm not there. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I've always thought of myself as maybe just not a very emotional person or not a very dramatic person. And now coming into this second year of motherhood, my son just turned two and sort of not really happily weaning him, myself not being that happy about it. There's just all these new levels of emotion that are present that I'm able to be present with. And it's so cool to see how it all comes hand in hand. Like as I explore more how to hold more pleasure, there's also this aspect of grief that comes with it. And I remember reading something that you wrote about this. And at the time I was like, 
I'm sure this is true, but I don't get it. <laughs> now I get it. Now I'm feeling it. Mm, that's beautiful. I'm really appreciating your acknowledgement of the time that it takes. Like it's not a given. I don't think, and this is sort of veering a little bit off course of what you shared, but I personally believe that the underworld journey or like reckoning with parts of ourself is a non-negotiable aspect of becoming a mother. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily instantaneous. It's not like, you know, it's just, it's also, it's not, it's not a given because it does require engaging with these parts of ourself. It does require a certain amount of wherewithal and bandwidth, which I think in terms of motherhood is largely a function of having community and having support, which mm -hmm. I know, you know, is a function of being part of Indie Birth and curating this online community. That's a big part of what I think women are doing. The in-person support is by and large still very lacking, but yeah. we can find more um, space to be with other women in a meaningful way because of this sort of virtual connection. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just, again, want to acknowledge your willingness. Like, I, I don't know if this is true. It doesn't feel like exactly true, but I'm going to stay open to it. Mm -hmm. From the way you described it, it sounded like it allowed that um, reckoning to be a bit more seamless and maybe mm -hmm. less jarring than it could have been otherwise, like, mm -hmm. the way that it is for a lot of us. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about your entrance, your initiation into motherhood? Yeah, I would. Um, my initiation came through miscarriage. And I don't mean to sound Pollyanna-ish about this, or, but I do feel so grateful for that. It was a profound loss. It came on the heels of some really devastating losses in my life, including surviving a hurricane in Houston and losing all of my belongings in my home. And it woke me up to, it woke me up to the experience of grief it really woke me up to, because it sort of drove me desperately into studying postpartum care and studying Ayurveda through a feminine lens and for specifically women's sexual and reproductive health. So I was in such a state of grief. I had to cut out a lot of things from my life that had been a big part of my identity up to that point. Mm. How I showed up in the world, I was yoga teacher. I was a birth, you know, very like, Woo, you know, yeah, big and free and, but like very much a maiden, very much mm -hmm. a maiden and living that through and through with an honor of the mother and mothering, but having zero taste of it myself. Mm -hmm. And this grief being my entry point to motherhood was also something that was resonant. I knew intuitively that loss and grief were a big part of becoming a mother, something that women and parents would have to reckon with, the loss of the life that was. Mm -hmm. It never made sense to me, the going back, the get your body back, the you know returning to normal. But yeah. going through it myself, it's a whole other vocabulary to then have. So this loss was very devastating. And I received a tremendous amount of support from my midwife. And I went right into studying Ayurveda for women's health, mm. um, starting my somatic sex educator training and learning about the neuroscience of pleasure and grief and trauma. And then doing my training with Rochelle Garcia Saliga at Innate Traditions and being deeply held in the experience of my loss by this mm -hmm. circle of women and Rochelle. And having, again, more language to express and describe and understand what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And then I had the opportunity to serve a lot more women in that space of loss. 
it was so profound. And a, it took me, it was almost exactly a year later that I got pregnant, mm. which was really special to me. It was sort of not a do-over, but like, like it was, it was meaningful. And I also am aware of the fact that it took me a full year to get pregnant again, to conceive. There was so much moving through my body and so much mm -hmm. restoration of my body that I needed to do. My son, my pregnancy with him was very, very easy. And I was so like snotty about it. I was like, <laughs> I can't believe I can't do this. I can't do that. It wasn't hard in any way, except for my ego. Couldn't believe, you know, the sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And so it was like baptism by fire, right? It just, <laughs> he was well past his expected due date. I fired my midwife when I was 40 weeks pregnant and oh. hired a new midwife from a different city. I like really put me through a lot of processes. And then I was able to birth him at home in such an easy, spacious way surrounded by women. Mm. I feel deeply grateful for that experience. Um, and I had my husband at home with me for the first 15 months of his life, 18 months of his life for a variety of reasons that aren't necessarily important. At nine months postpartum, I got pregnant with our daughter, which was a shock. Wow. It was very um, unexpected. And I was, to be honest, I was not happy about it at first. Mm. I was like, I can't do this. I'm not ready. And not very long after just processing that maybe a couple of weeks. It was like, I was so grateful. And because there was so little time between my pregnancies, my second pregnancy was very hard. Mm. It was very painful. I was depleted. Um, and it was right in the middle of COVID. So I was very alone and there were lots of, you know, hoops to jump through to have the birth that I wanted but I did. She came flying out of me. <laughs> and again, because of, you know, a lot of COVID restrictions in my community and the way my community was uh, organized at that time, it was very lonely. And my husband had got, he had been laid off for our whole pregnancy mm -hmm. and started a new job the day she was born. Wow. So after two weeks, he was gone and wow. like I was at home with a newborn and a toddler and it was a very, very dark time. I feel like that initiation was more of like my underworld journey and experiencing rage and resentment and powerlessness. And because of her birth and that growth period, again, once again, my work totally shifted Mm -hmm. And my perception of what I'm here to offer totally shifted. She's almost three and it's, you know, just coming to fruition. There's a whole, you know, podcast in that, but <laughs> for now, I'll just say that these initiations were so distinct and that I find to be a really beautiful thing that each pregnancy is its own kind of initiation. And there are pieces of initiation that are not, again, just a given. Um, and this is sort of where my work comes in of not taking for granted that we will transform through this experience. Mm -hmm. There are things that we are responsible for in that transformation. Yeah, I talk a lot about birth not just birth but the whole childbearing year as this rite of passage and it's interesting to think that it's totally possible to go through what is by all physical definitions a rite of passage without any awareness of it without working to be in alignment with it and what difference it makes when you're 
aware of what's happening and <clears throat> able to to sort of step up to that challenge or maybe step back, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you totally. And as you said that, it's like, well, that's, you know, a symptom in our culture, <laughs> all of these physical rites of passage that are just a part of our being human. We've figured out a way to distract away mm -hmm. from them. Like, don't look over there. Don't pay attention to this massive transformation mm -hmm. that's happening inside you physiologically and emotionally and spiritually. Just keep going and just keep going and then try to get back. Right. And then try to get back. And there's like this um, immaturity overall mm -hmm. in our culture, you know, that I think is largely a result of that we do not mark with any sort of courage or clear sightedness, mm. these little deaths that are happening all of the time so that we might rebirth what is most essential in us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to me, the community aspect feels really essential in that. Like when you see other women going through this and working with it, then it provides maybe a blueprint or a map or just an idea of the way you can navigate it yourself. But when everyone feels like I'm the only one doing this for the first time, it's just that much more challenging. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And that aspect of having an image in our mind, this is something I've just recently been engaging with. Initiations are, you know, a soul process and in-depth psychology, we're working from this imaginal space all of the time, like a vision in our mind of the trajectory of our life or the stirrings mm -hmm. of our dreams. Our soul speaks to us through images. What resonates with us about a particular sunset or landscape or person's face or gesture. And, you know, because of social media and the internet, we are inundated with imagery all the time none of which is guiding us toward our soul's calling, mm -hmm. but showing us what is expected of us, where we are expected to go. And so this discrepancy of what we're being shown and fed and what might be calling or stirring inside, I think is really um, something that we can't ignore. It's really important to acknowledge that mm -hmm. and consider, like you said, in our community, who are we orienting to from that soul level? What is the image of the mother in our mind that calls to us, calls us forward, calls us up rather than that feeling of like, I will never measure up to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where I think some of the secrecy comes in. You know, I'm doing this in secret. I'm doing this on my own when the image of what is expected is something so far removed from what, feels natural or available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love this. And I love that you are able to sort of not simplify it, but like bring this all down to earth. I oh, think there's a you. lot of a lot of stuff out there where I read it. And I'm like, that seems really cool. And also I can't grab a hold of it. Um, right. And I just want to read something that you wrote on Instagram recently. Oh, gosh. I think recently. <laughs> um, because to me, it was like, this is this is just it. This is being human. Mm. Lately, I find myself acutely aware of the fact that I am, more often than not, straddling the gap between the part of me that believes mothers are the heart of the home and the joy I derive from feeding my children nutritious food and providing a warm place for them to land and the part of me that finds it utterly soul-sucking to be expected to feed everybody every meal every day and clean up their shit and be happy about it. <laughs> the straddle feels like tremendous growth. Mm. Yes, and it feels so easy to see these as two completely separate things and like it's not possible to hold them both at once. Either I'm this amazing like angelic super instagram mom who loves every part of it all the time or i'm just horrible and it's the worst and i why am i doing this yes. but i love that this straddle feels like tremendous growth oh thank you i love thank you for reading it back to me and um 
I always remember my yoga teacher saying that when she taught, she felt like a conduit, like wisdom was mm. moving through her. And that was part of her goal or intention as a teacher too. And you reading that back to me, I'm like, yeah, it's just something that happens sometimes where wisdom when we make ourselves available, wisdom can funnel through. Cause I'm like affected by hearing you read that thing that I read. <laughs> the straddle feels like tremendous growth. You're right. It's, this is the point. It can never be either or mm -hmm. we'll always be both. And, and as long as we hold ourselves to a standard that is singular in function and purpose, we will have no legs to stand on. We will have no soul, no complexity, no nuance, no ability to navigate this constant ebb and flow of life. Mm -hmm. That like when you use the word angelic, it's like the maiden who is not ready to be a mother, like that angelic nature, that's not what is required by motherhood mm -hmm. at all. So it's not the like, it's not that there is a harshness. Again, it's not that simple, but it's that willingness to be in the thick and the dark and the dirt and the difficulty and not lose our sense of self there either. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking this morning just in preparation of talking to you. I was think I was listening to something and like a Kali mantra came on. Um and oh God, how cool. I was just dancing around the kitchen thinking about like there's so much even in my own body and my own self that has this aversion to that energy. Yeah. Like I have a friend who says I'm not saying that this is true or not but she was like really intensely studying this Kali mantra at the moment when her apartment burned down mm -hmm. and like there is so much power there and I feel some aversion to that like why does it all have to be darkness and fire and burning and destruction yeah. but I feel like it's such a necessary archetype to balance out this I guess this other archetype of sort of the only thing we know as mother, which is this like Guadalupe, Madonna, angelic, I guess, energy again, that's in some ways above it. And I think there can be a really profound way to live that out, sort of more in like a Zen equanimity, really deep peace way. But most often we see it just as this really shallow reflection of like, everything's fine. It's all great. I just, I'm not going to get into that. And this right. dark mother feels like such a necessary counterpoint to that. Hmm. You just said a lot of really wise, <laughs> wise, wise stuff. Um, the year that I lost my home and almost lost my partnership and lost my first pregnancy, I was deeply invested in Kali practices and Kali mantra. And just before she died, I interviewed Sally Kempton for my podcast and I wanted to speak to her about Kali and it's a very rich conversation but she said something interesting to me. She said, when I was building my business, I had to take Kali off my altar because I was building something. Mm -hmm. And that really touched me and really, you know, gives us a lot of information about the nature of this Shakti or this energy. But what I also know is that Kali is present all of the time, whether we are concentrating our efforts on her or not. So to know her in my understanding and my experience is essential to be able to navigate life, no matter what our intentions are, whether mm -hmm. we're building something or rebuilding something or wanting to make a profound change. And I think about these goddess archetypes and the 
the tradition that I've spent the most time inside of and studying is the Vedic tradition and tantric tradition. It's not my heritage by any stretch, but I've devoted a lot of my study to that tradition. And I think about these goddesses like a prism. Mm. They're facets of one another, all of them. They're distinct, but they are also facets of one another, illuminating one another. And and I think that's an important part of the conversation we're having and what I heard you speaking to and what you said. There's a richness and it literally a depth, Kali being the dark goddess, the black-faced mm-hmm. goddess. She is the composting goddess. And without her, we just, what are we accumulating? Or, you know, she cuts through the delusion of our accumulation of stuff, mm-hmm. accolades, accomplishments, certifications, good qualities, right? And cuts us down back to earth, back to what is essential. And the fact that time marches on, no matter what we do to stop it, change is imminent. And so this statement that Sally Kempton makes in her writing about Kali and that I asked her to repeat in the podcast, you know, Kali is terrifying, right? She's depicted in this like terrifying way but she's only terrifying to those who aren't willing to see the truth Mm -hmm. and for those who know her and what her energy is all about what her function is feel the deep and profound love in her presence Mm -hmm. this also I haven't thought of this before but it also feels very relevant to birth and this picture hanging behind you is just reminding me of it, that there is this depth available. There is this, I mean, it can be terrifying. It's, yeah, can be very difficult and we can choose to embrace that and go into that. Or we've sort of been told that maybe the better, the easier, the more modern approach is just to opt out of that, to stay clean, to stay out of the muck Mm. and just like get an epidural or just do a cesarean and be over with it yeah the it also in her writing sally describes kali as the energy of birth Mm. where once you're in that state there's nothing you can do to stop it Mm -hmm. you know it's like this howling force of the universe when birth is imminent you can't slow it down. You can't get in its way. You can't stop it. And there's nothing about our culture that favors surrender. Yeah. Right. Which is the requirement of life at its most fundamental level. It's interesting. So, yeah. What does this look like for you? Like on a on a daily basis or just in your own practice to have this relationship with this, whatever it is, energy goddess archetype? That's a wonderful question. It looked very different um, before I had children. Mm-hmm. And it looked very much like a superficial practice, mm-hmm. you know, like things I would do on purpose rather than, and this is something I, really profoundly learned through the birth of my second child, my daughter. And that moment of asking for help, because I felt like I was in such a dark place and my energy was very erratic and I was raging at my children. And this part of me that wanted to, that was asking for help and apologizing for the way that I felt. You know, I need help because because I'm so sorry I've been acting this way. And it was in that moment when I realized I have nothing to apologize for. Something in me is desperate to be seen and witnessed and acknowledged. I am not okay. And that is because I do not have what I need. So this energy lives in me on a daily basis is compassion for who I am and what is moving through me. And the fact that I am not perfect, I was never meant to be perfect. And there is guidance 
in these darker aspects of myself. And I want to be clear, this is not to say that, you know, it's okay if you're raging at your family, that's a good thing. That is not what I am saying. What I'm saying is there's information in that, mm -hmm. that we have to turn toward and we will not be able to transform this sort of out of control anger and rage, this sometimes violent emotional outburst that feels very much out of control. We will not be able to bring that into a stronger, more courageous, bold sense of self unless we turn toward it with compassion and say, what do you need from me? I'm listening. Mm-hmm. Because again, we tend to like something's wrong with me or something's wrong with you. We point outwardly, you are the problem. That's a very different conversation to have and not one that yields much transformation. It might yield external change. Mm -hmm. but that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, I remember seeing you post something about, I feel like it was about rage or something along those lines on how the expression of it without like the felt sense of it is the uninitiated mother or something along those lines yeah the expression of rage as i understand it as i'm coming to understand it what i feel is important to name is that it's multifaceted, right? There's no singular answer for it for where it comes from. <laughs> but a few working hypotheses on a nervous system level, the accumulation of unexpressed anger is going to yield this sort of outburst, intensified anger, which is rage. And the way that our brains are wired, sort of moving from the most primitive functions of our brain to the most, what we call advanced, right? This like reasoning capacity is that at our most basic level, we're wired for community and connection. We are pack animals. Mm -hmm. We are creatures of tribe and connection and collection. And when we are unmet in that, when we feel alone or that we don't belong or unseen or that we've been abandoned, what we experience is grief. When there's no context for grief or grieving or when we're unmet in that, when we're told to get over it, when it's not recognized what we're going through, the brain will actually move into a rage state to as quickly as possible, reestablish connection. And this, this is like a neuroscience perspective on it. Rage as a function of the brain is not meant to dominate or do harm. It's meant to pull someone back in line with us, in alignment with us mm -hmm. as quickly as possible, which I think everyone I've shared that concept with, which is not mine, it's from Bonnie Badenoch. It's, there's pretty deep resonance. And I feel this strongly when it comes to mothering and the rage that occurs in our mothering. I just need, you know, I need some connection. Mm -hmm. I need to know we are on the same page. I need it to the degree that I will die if I don't get it. It feels like life or death. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense just when you think about toddlers. A hundred percent. And being the soul, like the soul surface upon which they are touching or bouncing off of, you know, it comes back to something I know we're in alignment on and is more talked about now being a mother in solitude, mm -hmm. parenting small children in solitude is not normal. Mm -hmm. We've normalized it and it's not going well. Yeah. And again, it's like, okay, so, I mean, we could go on a whole tangent about that, which we don't need to do, but I think that 
there's some real power in the simple acknowledgement, like this is a superhuman task that's been asked of me. So <laughs> how about I cut myself a little bit of slack and get honest with myself and my support system about how to make this more sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that's going to look different for everybody based on their community and their means and their, you know, connections their willingness of how to adapt in order to get the necessary levels of support. But I think there's tremendous grace in the acknowledgement that we need more of one another. Yeah, for sure. And this definitely feels really relevant with today. So much discussion about postpartum depression, postpartum. Yeah mood and anxiety disorders and I think on the one hand it's really amazing that so many people are talking about it that there is this awareness yeah. and on the other hand it feels like just such a small portion of what's really happening like we've blown up this tiny section I've been like this is the problem and we're ignoring everything else yeah which is this much deeper need yes a profound human need. And in there's really wonderful conversations happening broadly about depletion in, you know, the perinatal time, how it mm -hmm. impacts fertility, how it impacts our postpartum, how it can impact development of our babies, but emotional depletion, social depletion. Mm -hmm. It's a real factor in what we see happening broadly. And, you know, it's, there's still the conversation, I'm in the mental health field and the conversation is so superficial mm -hmm. and it still frames this experience of postpartum mood and anxiety disorders of like, it's very common and it's okay, but it also is like a luck of the draw sort of thing. Yeah. And I vehemently disagree with that. I just do. And the conversation until we are including in the conversation, the necessity of extended rest, extended communal care. I just feel like we're slapping a bandaid on a giant wound. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting to think about, um, you know, Johan Hurry, who's a wonderful author who's written about addiction and depression. Recently, I just shared a quote of his and he's, he said, what if depression is grief, mm. grief for the things that we've lost and the things that we no longer have or the thing, you know, the things that we still need. And I put in, I like, you know, edited his quote, what if PMADs are grief, right? This unacknowledged grief of all of the losses. I mean, it's not even important to name specifics because each of us is fielding a tremendous amount of loss and the depletion on a physical level, an emotional level, a spiritual level. And the point is not to get hung up in how bad things are. The point is to find ourselves kneeling on the ground, expressing these emotions, allowing our tears to flow and finding our humanity in one another in that experience mm -hmm. and finding our way back to a sense of community and connection through our shared humanity. And then from a somatic perspective, that community aspect, the pleasure that we can derive from connection, from feeling seen, from not feeling so alone. This allows us to like work in a balanced way or pendulate back and forth, allows us to go into the depth, into the darkness, knowing that we're not alone there, knowing that it's not all consuming. Mm -hmm. We just take enough to be able to digest and process feeling held and carried by 
the warmth and light of other human beings who understand, who feel empathy, who care about what we're going through. Mm -hmm. What does that look like for you? I know this is a conversation for so many people and I, I lived in an intentional community when my son was born and for the first six months and even then I didn't feel fully held fully seen in that way and yeah. we're at such a weird time in humanity I feel like where so many people know that this is needed and don't know what steps to take to make that happen for themselves yeah this is a complex conversation one I'm really happy to have, um, but I certainly don't feel like I have the answers because some of it is accepting that there is a lack, mm -hmm. which isn't a satisfying answer. You know, it's accepting that like, it's not going to be what I dreamed of. Mm -hmm. And can I cultivate the capacity to fully receive what is available to me so that I can feel nourished enough to ask for what I need in the ways that are available? you know, to continue getting my needs met by receiving and also asking for a little bit more where it's available. Mm -hmm. I, as like a very, you know, touching on the subject in a fairly superficial way, I moved back to my hometown with the expectation that all of my childhood friends here would be like my perfect intentional community when I had babies, because most of them had babies a lot earlier than I did, like 10 mm -hmm. years before me. And so, you know, they all know and blah, blah, blah. And it's going to be this. And it's going to be so great. And we're going to do this. And our kids are going to blah, blah, blah. None of that happened. And there were reasons for that beyond just like, that's not the shared culture. That's not the shared culture. Most of them, and and I'm not speaking in a way that's intended to be disparaging. It's like, I think this of most first time mothers, right? Like we get out of the house running errands or going to dinner at two weeks and like, we're just back up to normal, trying to get back to normal. I'm gonna try to start doing the exercise I like to do it two weeks postpartum. No concept of what's going on at the deepest level or the, you know, and also no encouragement and no capacity really to do nothing. Yeah. There's this constant driving energy. And I think there's something for our communities also when someone has a new baby that requires a slowing down that is uncomfortable mm -hmm. for all of us, even community. It's uncomfortable to slow down and pull back. And we're all struggling to just make food for our own kids, let alone a whole meal for a whole other family. And like, you know, put our lives on pause because everything feels like it's just barely slotted in. Yeah. Everybody has to slow down. Everybody has to take something off their plate to support a new family. And we don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it is such a balance because it can be easy to get into this sort of all or nothing thinking. Like I don't have right. any community. I don't have any friends. It's just me or, you know, I need to start this thing where we're all living in the same house and yes, everybody exactly. shares money for this and we have one car. Yes, exactly. But just acknowledging what does exist and the small ways we can strengthen that support network for ourselves. Yeah. I mean, the awkward the awkward um, request of like, my husband has traveled quite a bit for work. And so weekends alone with both kids and then like one gets sick or I get sick or something happens. My parents are also out of town. So there's no one around who's like on mm -hmm. call, so to speak. And just that awkward request, calling a friend and being like, can you please bring us food today? Mm -hmm. I don't care where it comes from. I don't care what it is but I just need somebody, you know, and the willingness to like be a mess. I don't know. I don't know how to do this and I'm struggling. Even someone answering the phone. It's like, we also, as people struggling for connection, have to be willing to extend the hand and invite the connection. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
openness, that vulnerability. This is something that I talk a lot about in relation to the postpartum time, like you being open and willing to ask for what you need. And yeah, it just opens the door for other people to realize that they can do the same. Mm. And it can be so intimidating, but thinking about it from the other perspective, like, would I want someone to ask this of me? Yes, of course. I would love to step up and support my friend in this way. Yeah. I'd love to know how to best support you. Mm -hmm. And that real intimacy, this is real intimacy. And I think that's another factor in this conversation. It's very intimate. Let's say you reach out to me, Stacy, could you please bring me a meal? I need, you know, support. This is what's going on. I'm actually not available today, but I could do it on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Does that work for you? You know, it's like a lot of vulnerability in that so many of us, I feel are, you know, operating in this perfectionistic paradigm too. If I can't show up a hundred percent in this way, then, you know, again, you said the all or nothing. It's like the all or nothing paradigm. If we can have a conversation, be in conversation in real intimate space about it, then I think we would all feel quite different because the connection is not only sitting in my house for this many hours, cooking me this kind of food, mm -hmm. being able to have a fucking conversation. That's really honest. And if you can't show up in the way that I need you to not defaulting to my trauma patterning of childhood, like, well, you don't care about me and I'm not important to you. And I should just forget this and yeah. check out which is easy to do in that time because one of the gifts I think of that portal of postpartum is that all of these patterns come up. Mm -hmm. Everything sort of rises up from the darkness and you're like, whoa, what is going on? Yeah. That intimacy, especially between women, is something that feels so fraught. Um, it's something that in this past year has been a real point of exploration for me. Like, why does this feel so difficult? Yeah. And I know a lot of people talk about the sister wound or the mother wound or the witch wound or whatever. Um, and I'm just, I guess I haven't thought this through yet, but thinking about this dark mother archetype in relation to other mothers, to being vulnerable with other mothers, how that fits in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the dark mother is the repository for all of these um, unconscious aspects of ourself, like the jealousy, the resentment, the sense of betrayal from our sisters, our friends, our, you know, unknown other women. And Again, the practice that I'm opening up and inviting other women into is building up the capacity to even be able to admit, I feel this way. Mm. This is what lives in me. Some part of me hates her. Some part of me is bitter. And instead of, you know, manipulating it into a kind of like moral superiority, which we do really well on Instagram. It's eh, digesting the emotion mm. on a, you know, an emotional level, an intellectual level, like we're working at all these different levels so that we can be with what need and vulnerability is clearly there after we've digested it. Mm. But it takes that capacity to even just admit this exists and this is what is actually going on. To default to blame is so much easier. It's so much less energy expenditure. It's so much less humbling. I, you know, I, I believe most people would rather be alone than be wrong. Mm. And there's that quote, I've heard Esther Perel say this a lot. Like, would you rather be married or would you rather be right? Mm -hmm. you know mm. it's like this line in the sand that so many of us unconsciously draw I can't I can't be connected with you because I can't admit this about myself and risk being in conversation about it risk the time it would take 
to work through this. Mm. Maybe just have to like eat the poison that is my own narcissism. (laughs) But then when we do, we digest it and we transmute it and it becomes something totally different. I believe that. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is kind of where I can tie back to somatics is this feels like a really difficult thing for me to think through. Like it doesn't really make sense in my head, this relating with other women, the blocks, the difficulties there. And I could maybe try to explain it, but I don't think there's any way I could fully move with it or work with it unless I can identify it in my body and work with it on that level. Yeah. Well, that's incredible self-awareness on your part. So that's beautiful, but you're right. There's an element and, and what I've found working with women is there are some, I consider myself in this camp, some of us who have like a lot of access to our body. And so don't necessarily need a lot of the explanation or the explanation makes it cloudy mm-hmm. and like far removed. And then also the opposite, like for some, the image and the into like grasping it there from a top-down perspective, is much more accessible. But ultimately, we all have to meet in the middle Mm -hmm. because there's no actualizing a change or working in relationship if we're not able to connect in our heart. Mm -hmm. You know, that energetic view of like working from the bottom up or working from the top down. Well, either way, if you're not integrated in the center, then it's a bit out of whack. Mm -hmm. So somatically, you know, this is where some of the really basic nervous system attunement practices come in, just noticing, you know, out of the context of this activating concept or situation, we're going to be building our capacity to be with discomfort or uncertainty or the unknown in small digestible ways. And then we start to introduce these more specific subjects and play with them when we're resourced, when we know we Mm -hmm. can step out should a feeling of overwhelm arise and start to work with different tools. I really like working with movement. I really like working with sound, sounding, shaping the body, but also image making and also dialogue. Mm -hmm. Can I ask, this feels semi-relevant about your most recent Instagram pictures. They're so beautiful. And I'm also, I was like, did you just go to the desert and start to dance like what happened here what was this because it feels significant and like I don't fully know the story of it I'm so glad you asked um and I love the way that you asked because I yeah I have a very dear friend named Vanessa Wingroth she's a very talented photographer and facilitator and birth worker in Tucson Arizona um She was my doula for my first birth and has become a dear friend. And I was meant to go on a, like a day retreat with her and I got very, very sick. So she was like, you know, you can use this. I'll keep your payment. And if you want to do a photo shoot at any point, I'd love to do Mm. that with you. So months later, I think it was like three months later, I was like, I'm ready. It's time. I need some, I need some new photos for the dark mother. She was like, okay, I just want you to think about, you know, sort of what you're wanting. And then it really was a true collaboration. She brought the location. She brought most of the objects and like, I mean, I'm not wearing a lot of clothes in most of the photos, but she really was the art director. Mm. And we started the, the afternoon setting an intention and she welcomed me and whatever pieces of me needed to be seen and wanted to show up. And like I said, she's an incredible facilitator. She's a Shakti yoga instructor. And we created this experience together. And truly at what, when you said, did you just go to the desert and start dancing? Basically, yes. Went to the desert, took off all my clothes and started dancing. And it was fucking amazing. (laughs) And I'm so happy with what, you know, the photos to me, it's like, yes, that's exactly how it felt. That's exactly what it was. Mm. Thank you for asking about that. Mm. It was an amazing experience. 
Yeah, and it feels really aligned with sort of this new direction that it seems like your work is taking. And it's just really lovely to see. I'm excited to to be here for it. Thank you. It's mm-hmm. exciting to feel so much alignment um, within myself and also be receiving this feedback. Like, um, I think where I've maybe... I'll use the word struggled where I've maybe struggled in my business, you know, not my work, but making distinct the Mm -hmm. work versus the business where I've struggled in my business is in being as specific as possible. Mm. And this feels like the time in my work where I'm very clear about how specific this work is Mm -hmm. and what exactly we're doing and who exactly it's for. Um, and it feels amazing to receive feedback such as that. Like it's clear. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It is clear. And another thing I love about maybe it's the way you write, the way you think, I'm not sure is that there's a lot of accounts on Instagram where I'm just like, yeah, that's great. Awesome. And pretty frequently you'll post things where I'll be like, I don't, hmm, I don't really (laughs) like that. I don't know about that. Let me think about it for a second. (laughs) awesome yeah and it's such a great opening point Mm. like most recently it was about mm, what was it how your motherhood isn't about your children I was like well of course it is that's how I'm a mother what do you mean yeah and that's definitely still something I'm sitting on and I'm excited to explore more thank you I'm I think part of this dark mother project and experience is that willingness to say the thing that I know isn't comfortable for people to read mm-hmm. without qualifying it or, you know, part of the dark mother, of course, is this is the truth. You don't have to like it. And not that I'm some like torchbearer of truth. I don't hold myself to that. Um, in that way, but I do feel that there are some undeniable truths. And how about Mm. we just get curious about it? I don't have to be the final authority on any of this. It's all of my work is, as I said, this like relationship. And I find it to be the most exciting and potent place to start our work with the like, I'm not sure about that. Let's go in and see. Let's get really clear about what is true for you. What Mm -hmm. is alive in you? And what parts of you bristle when you hear this? And what they have to say. Instead of just always like gliding and sliding with the things that like really affirm our ego. And Mm -hmm. I think there's some room for, and not to be just like, um, antagonizing for the sake of being antagonizing or getting clicks that's a trap that is easy to fall into in social media I think Mm -hmm. but yeah let's get into the let's get into the sticky spots Mm -hmm. yeah um so I guess what what does that look like what is getting into the sticky spots what is working with you what is upcoming for you Thank you. That's a great question. I, like I said, I work primarily one-on-one with women in a coaching capacity and my modalities are primarily somatic experiencing and the therapeutic aspects of depth psychology. I'm not a Jungian trained analyst, but I've been trained in the depth psychology tradition and my sessions are a combination of somatic work. And so tracking sensation in the body, working with gesture, holding space, and of course, dialogue and conversation and getting curious about, um, I think the default responses we have to things. So as a, as a small example, noticing someone sort of speeding through an emotional response to something, right? Like how we try to accelerate 
the pace. Mm -hmm. Let's just get to the other side of this rather than making space for allowing and even getting curious about what is moving through me and what does it have to tell me? Putting ourselves in a position to be curious about what is moving through us and not taking for granted that it is uh, I amness. So if I have a story that my vulnerability or my sensitivity is shameful or something that most people don't like or it makes others uncomfortable, that prevents me from experiencing the wisdom of my sensitivity and like what mm. I actually need in order to feel safe in relationship or what has never had the opportunity to complete inside my nervous system, expressing grief and sorrow and being seen and held with no condition. And then suddenly I find myself more able to feel steady and calm mm. in a situation that ordinarily would have made me burst into tears and feel out of control. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a relational process. And then I'm going to be opening my first iteration of the Dark Mother, which at some point later this year, I imagine, is going to be offered in more of a long-form mentorship program. So working very mm. closely one-on-one -on -one with me and also with a group of women going through that one-on-one -on -one process. For now, I'm starting with a group process with one one-on-one -on -one session with me. That can, of course, grow into something else if folks want that, but it will be a six-week program, so pretty accessible for most people, and that'll be launching in a couple weeks here. That's very exciting. Yeah. So you're doing this, and you have two kids, and you're finishing somatic experiencing training, and you're finishing your degree? Yes, I am. <laughs> How do you do that? Um, day by day, step by step piece by piece. And it's been my own practice of being with my nervous system and being able to say stop when I need to say stop mm -hmm. and letting things take the time that they take and asking for a lot of help. There are things that, you know, this is, I think, a really critical conversation when it comes to authentic mothering. Mm -hmm there it's very easy to make a bold statement about what women should do and what is the right way to mother but the fact of the matter is there are a million ways to mother there are a million ways to do it right there are a million ways to be and when i say a million it's like in the vedic tradition 1000 was like infinity right so it's like infinite mm -hmm. numbers expressions of this. I started graduate school a month before I got pregnant with my daughter. Wow. And I took time off after her birth. I took six months off, which most of my classmates, none of them, they were like, gave birth and the next day were in class. Wow. Like, you know, so not, I'm not trying to compare, but like I, I took a break and I now look back, no, I should have taken more time. But also realized, like I knew in my bones that being in my studies was really critically important to me, to my mental health, to my feeling of myself. And so I did what I needed to do, you know, in terms of asking for support with my children and prioritizing my time so that I can be with them when I'm with them, not trying to do multiple yeah. things at once, but they've also been in school a lot sooner than a lot of my peers put their kids in school and later than some of my other peers put their kids in school. Mm -hmm. But we just make, we shape our life to hold us and our needs and the direction that we're moving in. But I think to answer your question <laughs> succinctly, so there's the long answer. Short answer is I've made a lot of sacrifices mm. and I'm also very clear how much energy I derive from my work and that it makes me such a better mother to be fueled in this way. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, it comes back to that conversation of our children are not our work. Our work yeah. is our work. And our children are our children. Yes, exactly. And for me to be fully present with them, I need to know where I need to know that my life force is in motion in the like I know what I'm here to do. And I know that mothering is part of that, mm. but that is not my sole reason for being here. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, after we stopped talking, I had to get up and do a little dance. I just feel so much energy moving from that conversation. Um, definitely a lot of questions, thoughts, avenues of exploration that aren't even haven't fully landed in my brain yet, but I can feel that they're on their way are coming up and I'm really excited to explore that and to continue to see what Stacy has to offer. Um, I believe she has a free class in um, preparation for this Dark Mother offering that she mentioned coming up on Friday the 26th. Let me just double check that. Yeah, she has a free class on Friday the 26th at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Um, so you can go to her Instagram, which is Stacy S-T-A-C-E-Y underscore Ramsauer, R-A-M-S-O-W-E-R, um, and find the link in her bio there for that intro to the Dark Mother class, which I'm hoping to be able to make it for. It looks really amazing. Um, and I hope that this conversation stirred some things for you. So let me know if you have any thoughts, any reactions, any disagreements, any further ponderings. Um, See you next time.